Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message. Psalm 15, a psalm of David. Uh, some of your Bibles might actually say that in verse 1. Verse 1 actually starts at the end of that little introduction. And uh, within it, we see a question and we see an answer. It's always good to have answers. Sometimes we have answers when there's no question. Sometimes we have questions when there's no answer. And, uh, but it's always good to have both. So with this in mind, we see in our outline, uh, the question is found in verse 1. First of all, who is the question addressed to? It is addressed to the Lord. The word Lord in capital letters in the Old Testament is the self-existent or eternal Yahweh. It is the Jewish national name of God, or as some uh, want to say, Jehovah, or the Lord. This is dealing with His covenant name when it comes to the land of Israel. Uh, it is dealing with the fact that He is like no other. Um, many times the question is asked, where did God come from? And the answer is, He didn't. He's always been. He is eternal. He is everlasting. God operates in time because He created time, but God was before time was. I don't know if you know that, but was is a time word. Did you catch that? And He will be when time doesn't exist anymore. I'm not exactly sure if that'll happen or when that'll happen, but God is everlasting. Yesterday, today, and forever, He is the same. He does not change. He's always been. He did not have a beginning. So that's who we're asking the question. Do you think He might know the answer? Oh, yeah. Uh, being omniscient, He knows all things. And the two-part inquiry is, who may abide in your tabernacle? Now, it is interesting when we come to the age of the church, for some reason, we want to take the old and put it as part of the new, and this room right here becomes, as we call it, the sanctuary. This is the house of God. No, it isn't. This is where we meet to talk about Him. This is a room. It's got bench seats in it. That's nice. They're padded. Okay. Down in Brazil, all of the bench seats are boards. <laughs> and, and sometimes they're curved to kind of adapt to uh, the backside there. And sometimes they're not. I, I can tell you they're not comfortable. Uh, they're just boards. Okay. But this is just a room. What is the house of God or the tabernacle of God? You. You are the tabernacle of God. The Holy Spirit lives within you. He empowers you to live in a different way than you've ever lived before. He uh, empowers you to live in a way that is pleasing and honoring to the God that we say we worship. Okay, now don't read anything more into what I just said. Okay? Uh, that happens a lot. People read something and it's got, stop it. Okay, that's eisegesis. Exegesis. We're reading out of the text what it says, okay? So with that in mind, uh, who may abide in your tabernacle and who may dwell in your holy hill? 
That is the two-part inquiry, uh, or inquiry, depending on what part of the country you're from, I imagine. And uh, the word for abide here is gur. It kind of like sounds like goop without the oop, you know, gur. Um, to turn aside from the road for a lodging or any other person uh, purpose, to sojourn as a guest, to shrink or fear as in a strange place, also to gather for hostility as afraid, abide, assemble, be afraid, dwell, so on and so forth. But you get the idea that someone is on a trip and they are needing to stop in at a motel and stay for the night. That's the idea of abiding. It's a, a temporary thing. Who may abide in your tabernacle? Uh, the word for tabernacle here is ohel, uh, a tent as clearly conspicuous from a distance, covering dwelling place, home, tabernacle. Uh, now, you might remember back in the Old Testament that the tabernacle was exactly that. It was a tent, okay? And it was a place where they would come to meet with the Lord. But their meeting with the Lord meant that they basically stood outside of a curtained area, the tent was away over there, and they would uh, confess their sins to the priest. The priest would cut the lamb's throat or whatever offering you had, and then they would go and uh, take care of that sacrifice. They would burn it. Uh, they might offer the blood, depending on what time of year it was, onto the mercy seat, which was on the, in the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest could do that. He only did that once a year, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Uh, but it, meeting with God meant that he he was like 50 yards away. It wasn't really a meeting, but it was his dwelling place until they built the temple. And then even then, within the temple, you had the temple, the uh, altar out here, and there was a, a door, and you got to be on this side of the wall that went around the temple and talk to a priest. And if you were a woman, there was another wall, and you could be on the other side of that wall. Uh, and there was actually another wall in between there where the Gentiles that became Jewish proselytes, they could actually be closer to God than women. Boy, what a bunch of misogynists in those Old Testament times. Oh, stop it. Okay. Uh, the idea was God dwelt in a tent. And then we find out in the Gospel of John that Jesus tabernacled among us. He took on flesh and he tabernacled. He tented with us. See, this is a tent. You might not like the looks of my tent. Tough. You don't have to live in it. I do. Okay? Someday when we all get to heaven, we're all going to have perfect heads. God made a few perfect heads. The rest he put hair on. Rich likes that one. Um, but the reality is, is this is a temporary dwelling place. Someday we're going to get a permanent one. Um, I would love to tell you my thoughts on that because it deals with the concept of eternity and we're so time-oriented that we think that somehow between the time of death and the time of the rapture when our bodies are made new that something's got to happen. It's kind of like, no, you're thinking time. We're going to go into eternity. Can't think like that. Hmm, wonder what that means. That's another discussion. But whole point being is, who may find a temporary residence with you? 
Okay, not talking about the body, talking about uh, dwelling. Uh, Psalm chapter 2, verse 6 says, Yet I have set my king over my holy hill in Zion, because not only are we talking about this tabernacle, but we're also talking about the holy hill. Who may dwell in your holy hill? The word for uh, dwell here is shakan, to reside or permanently stay. So the first question seems to be talking about the, our temporary residence here, who can be involved with, have that relationship with God. The second question deals more with the concept of eternity, who may dwell to reside or permanently stay, to abide or continue, okay, have habitation. That's the idea of living there, not just uh, staying overnight. And then the holy hill, the word for hill here is har, a mountain or range of hills, uh, or uh, if you will, a mountain. And Psalm 2, 6 says, Yet I have set my king over my holy hill in Zion. Question, what holy hill is he talking about and where is Zion? Now, a lot of people want to say that Zion is Jerusalem. And in the mind of the Jewish person, that's probably true. Does Jesus rule in the, on the throne in Jerusalem at this time? The answer is no. He does rule on his throne in Zion. Someday, Zion, if you will, is going to be here, and he is going to be ruling all, all over everything. But God's already set his uh, king on that holy hill. Uh, uh, Psalm 3, 4 says, I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill, Selah. So when we pray, we don't face Jerusalem and, and pray thinking that somehow if we face east, right? Uh, we just pray knowing that our prayers are going to his throne, and that's the idea. He hears from his holy hill. Psalm 24, 3, and 3 to 5, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? Who has uh, clean hands and a pure, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation." Now, the reason why I brought this verse in is because, again, we're talking about the holy hill, but we see that this question's been asked a couple of times. Not only here, but again in Isaiah, the question is asked. That would seem to indicate that this question is pretty important, okay? Who may have this temporary relationship with God, temporary in the sense of, well, we're here in this body, and who may have the permanent uh, abode with him in the future. So that's the question. Uh, verses 2 to 5, the rest of the psalm, give us the answer. And of course, I'm teaching in a Bible church. Everyone here is saved, and therefore we already know this. We can close the book and go home now. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so let's find out what David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us as what's required to abide in God's tabernacle and dwell in his holy hill. First of all, we understand from the New Testament that a person is declared righteous by God by faith in who Christ is and what he has done, right? Now, I would invite you back tonight at 6 o'clock. We're going to be going through uh, the implications of the resurrection, okay? The coming of the Spirit, 
makes a big change in how God does things. In the Old Testament, we had all kinds of rules, regulations, ceremonial, moral, da-da-da-da-da-da. When we come to the New Testament, that has all been fulfilled in Christ. And now, how are we to live? And Paul says, I want you to stand fast in the liberty that you have in Christ Jesus. See, you were a slave. Now you're a slave of righteousness. And in being a slave of righteousness, you are free to do what? Paul says, all things are lawful for me. Not everything's expedient, necessary, beneficial. But all things are lawful. That would seem to indicate there's not a lot of rules. You know what I mean? You know what the rules are now? Love God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind and your neighbor as yourself. Those two things are the guiding uh, forces, if you will, as to whether or not you can do something or should do something. Now, can I tell you that you may come to different conclusions on how that gets lived out? Okay, now why, uh, why am I saying all of this? Because we do not live under the old covenant. Okay, we live according to the blessings of the new covenant. We'll talk about that tonight. But when we come here, we're going to see outward actions that the tendency of, yes, even saved people is say, oh, there's a rule, I can follow it. And I want you to understand something. This has nothing to do with rules that you can judge yourself or someone else by. This has everything to do with, are you a new person in Christ Jesus, and therefore that new person shows itself through the way that it lives? Or are you thinking that somehow if I follow these rules, I might get in good with God? Okay? So let's take a look at them. First of all, changed actions required in verses 2 and 3. From the Christian, uh, the Holman Christian standard, the one who lives honestly practices righteousness and acknowledges the truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue, who does not harm his friend or discredit his neighbor. So let's take a look at those. First of all, we see, number one, outward actions uh, that are required. He who walks uprightly. The word walks basically throughout the Old and New Testament is it's a manner of life. This is the way you live, okay? Uh, my dad, my dad was a drunk. Now we like to ease that a little bit and say he was an alcoholic. You know, he couldn't help himself. I want you to understand something. He wasn't an alcoholic when he was born. Okay. When he became a teenager under the duress that he was under at the time, he had an angry father, uh, expectations of a son, not ex- the same expectations were not expected of daughters. Da 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 da. So somewhere in a rush, he decided to go out and get drunk. Okay? And, you know, he probably had a good time because he decided, I'm going to go do that again. And then he decided, wow, that was so much fun, I'm going to go do it again. And he did it again and again and again and again and again until drink became his master. Okay? He was now enslaved to a sinful habit that he had taken on by choice. Now, why do I say that? Because, again, when we psychologize everything, we take away personal responsibility, and he's responsible, okay? Now, I'm not picking on my dad, 
Okay, my, my dad and I, before he died, uh, we're, we're in a good relationship. He's passed on to whatever his reward was. I can't tell you what his reward was. Uh, I'm not going to tell you that he's in hell, and I, I can't tell you that he's in heaven. I have no idea. I do know one thing. My God, my Father, is righteous. And if my dad had made a decision to trust Christ, he is with him, regardless of the activities that he was involved in in his life. And if he didn't trust Christ, he got his reward. He got what he wanted in this life to be away from God. Okay? Now, I know that sounds harsh. Get over it. That's the best thing I can tell you. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just stating facts. Now, why is all of that important? Because he made choices. It was his manner of life. Okay? That's the point I'm trying to bring across to you. Manner of life. What is your manner of life? Well, I know for some people, coming to church on Sunday morning is part of their manner of life. It doesn't mean that they're saved. It's what you do. You claim Christian and you go to church on Sunday morning. And then, how do you live? Well, you know, we try and keep it somewhat morally okay, but I really don't want some of the people in the church to know some of the things that I do, because what would they think? Of course, my answer is always, who cares? <laughs> you know, Paul says, I, I think it a small thing to be judged by you. I don't even judge myself. He says, now, as far as I know, I'm not doing anything wrong, but the only one that's really going to declare that is... Jesus, when I stand before him. Okay? So uh, for some people, their way of life, their manner of life, is you go to church on Sunday morning. It says nothing about their relationship with God. But if you have a relationship with God, can we say that part of your manner of life is there is going to be a public gathering where you're going to worship God in a public sense? Okay, now, I recognize in this day and age, some people stay at home. They're worried about illness and stuff like that. I'm totally cool with that. I'm not judging what someone else has chosen. But in general, the way of life for a Christian is we're going to assemble. Why? Because what does the word church mean? It means assembly of called out ones. That's what the word ecclesia literally means. Okay, so you would think that as a Christian, uh, we're going to assemble. Cool. Okay, now does that make everything good between us and God? I can tell you from our history that there have been plenty of people that have assembled and their heart was not right with God. I can tell you that there have been times when I've been here and my heart hasn't been right. I hope you can say the same thing because it's probably true. <laughs> okay, so uh, when we talk about way of life, we're talking about how you walk. That's what we're talking about. Not just coming to church, it's how you live throughout the week. And here's the requirement. You must walk uprightly. Uh, the word uprightly here basically means with integrity, without blemish. So your way of life, not necessarily every moment... Your way of life is going to be, I choose to walk in a way that's pleasing to God. Now, how do I know what's pleasing to God? 
Well, uh, Romans 12, 2 says, Don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So you're going to be in God's Word to know how God wants you to live. Why? Because we're not under the rules anymore. We're free. All things are lawful. Not all things are expedient. Hmm. That means I actually have to examine stuff and determine what is good, uh, acceptable, and perfect. And then I'm free to do them. Okay? So that's the idea of walking uprightly. Now again, with integrity means I claim this and then I live according to it. Okay? Um, I'm sure you all know people who uh, come from a particular denomination that you live holy on Sunday, maybe Saturday, but usually Sunday, and then the rest of the week, how do you live? Whatever's expedient for you at that time. If if you're a quote-unquote Christian business person, what's important is business, okay? Does Jesus come into business? No, no. Just like Christians don't get involved in politics. Why? Because, oh, that's wrong. No. Christ claims all of your life, not a part of it. Okay? And, but they live as though, since business is the only thing that matters, and what's business but the outcome, that last dollar thing, we don't necessarily worry about pleasing God in our business. We worry about the, 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 the dollar. Okay? Now, unfortunately, that isn't limited to that denomination. And see, if we ever do anything wrong in this particular denomination, we can just go confess it and uh, get a, a little homework assignment whereby we can take care of it. Everything's good with God. Okay? Uh, it's not limited to that denomination. One of the things that surprised me when I got into my first Bible church was how many Christian businessmen were making enemies along the way, not because they were standing up for Jesus, but because they were there to make the buck. And they were not using biblical principles to do it. And if that meant kind of stabbing someone in the back to get that extra buck, that was okay. Because, see, I'm saved and all my sins are forgiven. And Try again. Integrity. You claim to be a Christian, you live like a Christian. Okay? So, notice not only does he walk uprightly, but he works righteousness. Uh, once again, uh, how can you work righteousness in and of yourself? No. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, I find that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Okay? Now, that might have been Romans chapter 7. You can look it up for yourselves. Uh, When he gets into Romans chapter 8, he does acknowledge that the only way he can do anything, like putting off those old habits, is by the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So if you're going to work righteousness, you have to walk in the Spirit. And thus you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, Galatians 5.16. Okay? So with that in mind, it goes on to say, He who does not backbite with his tongue... Okay, this person is a tail-bearer or a slanderer. Someone that's saying something negative about someone else. Now, uh, you can call it gossip, okay? Um, I think in Portuguese that's fofoca, okay? Um, 
Christians are just as good at gossip as unbelievers. Uh, we may not get into all of the gory details, but uh, did anybody know uh, what sins are an abomination to God? We, we all know the one uh, we celebrated in this month, right? Uh, we know that that one's an abomination to God. Anybody have an idea of what might be another abomination to God? Gossip. Yeah, lying is too. Gossip. This is where you're talking about other people. Normally, when we talk about other people, what are we talking about? The thing that they did that I just can't believe they did that. Oh. I remember uh, when I was in Brazil, uh, another missionary family, let's just say they were a royal pain in our family's ear. Okay? And I don't know how many times we talked about them at the dinner table, and I finally said to my family, guys, if you got nothing nice to say about these people, I don't want to hear it anymore. Because all we did was rehearse it. We were reiterated, repeated all those things and ha- held on to them and, and were bitter about it. And it's kind of like, I, I, I don't want to hear it anymore. Can I tell you that just because dad said so didn't mean much? Because we still have a tendency to do that kind of thing. And again, when you're talking about someone else, you're usually talking about something that is off. We're not normally talking about, oh, you know, they did such a good job. God doesn't say anything about that. But we're slandering. Uh, We're talking about them in a negative sense. So you're not going to do that. And nor does he do evil to his neighbor. Uh, So this is, again, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. How do you want to be treated by other people? That's how you treat other people. If you look at our country right now, that is one of, the, you know, that old golden rule thing. Uh, we haven't been apparently teaching that in school for quite a while because it's amazing how many adults are acting like children. Well, he did this to me. So how do you want to be treated? doesn't matter how I want to be treated. He should not have done that to me. So I must get vengeance. Oh, Yeah. So that's the first outward, the first set of outward actions. How about the inward actions? Well, number two here, letter A, he speaks the truth in his heart. See, this is where I can slander someone because I think I am better than them. I wouldn't do what they've done. I can talk about them to other people because we are better than them. When I speak the truth in my heart, I'm a dirty, rotten, scum-of-the-earth sinner. I am capable of anything that's in the book. So if someone else has actually done something that's in the book, how can I come alongside them and help them get back to walking with Jesus? That should be my first and foremost concern. Because if I fall in that area... Do I want judgment and condemnation or do I want someone helping me get out of the muck? See what I'm saying? So he speaks the truth in his heart. Uh, Letter B, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. The word reproach here is sherpa, disgrace, rebuke, reproach, reproachfully, or shame. Now, uh, one of the reasons why this is important here. When I first got saved, I was 21 years of age, and uh, 
I was amazed, having come out of a relatively difficult background, having been a very angry young man, bitter to the point where when I would talk about my family situation, I would literally start trembling because uh, I just wanted to kill someone. Literally. Okay, I'm not, you know how when you're angry you just want to, no, no, I'm literally talking about having wanted to kill someone to the point of actually walking upstairs with a knife in my hand. And I don't know why I didn't follow through. I'm glad I didn't follow through. That would have been a real difficult situation to explain at this point in time. Uh, But that's how bitter and angry I was. And so when I got saved and I come into the church, one of the things that shocked me was how many people in the church were dealing with bitterness. Kind of like, wow, I guess we all should be here because we got these problems. But it seemed to me that in a lot of cases, people didn't want to really deal with those things. Let me read a few verses for you. Matthew 6, verses 12 to 15 says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What's a condition to be forgiven? You have to forgive. Yeah, but you know, Matthew 6, he's talking to the disciples. He hasn't fulfilled the law yet. He's still in the old covenant. Does that apply to us? Well, follow along. Uh, Mark 11, 25, 26, basically saying the same thing. When you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Luke eleven four, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Luke eleven, or I mean seventeen, verses three and four, here's what it says simply: Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Okay, cool. That's easy. Listen to what it says, though. And if he sins against you seven times in a day. I don't know about you, but in watching my grandkids, boys and girls, seven times in a day. No, that's like in about five minutes. Okay, the, the brother antagonizes the sister. The sister does something to antagonize the brother. It goes on and on and on. And, uh, but here we're talking about someone who has an old habit that keeps on sticking its head up out of the sand, and the person offends, sins against the other person. But they've repented. What on earth does that mean they repented? Well, if you talk to the average person, repentance basically means I've, uh, I'm never going to do it again. But this guy did it seven times. Yeah, but see, he only repented the first time. Wait a minute, wait a minute. goes on and says, if he does it seven times in a day, and then seven times a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So what's he saying? 
I recognize that I did wrong. That's all this repentance means. I recognize I did wrong. Now, Lord willing, there's going to be the emotional backing behind that. But some of us aren't all that emotional. We do a little bit more up here. And it's kind of like, yeah, that was wrong. I blew it. Okay? At that point, if I'm acknowledging I've done wrong, what are you supposed to do? Forgive. But he did it seven times. Actually, another passage, Jesus says 70 times seven. In case your math isn't up to par, 490 times. You've got to forgive him. You've got to forgive him. You've got to forgive him. Yeah, but this is the Gospels. Old Testament, New Testament. Ephesians 4.2. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. You know what the word bearing there means? Putting up with. You got to put up with people who, boy, they're stupid. Whoa, whoa, you see what I just did there? You got to put up with people that I am somehow better than. That's the only reason why I wouldn't put up with them because I'm better than them. But I'm supposed to put up with them. That would indicate I'm not better than them. Uh, it goes on to say in verse 32, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. So what's the expectation? You are going to forgive just like Christ forgave you. How many times did He forgive you for that particular sin that you struggled with, maybe still do struggle with? I'm 41 years old in the Lord, 42 this year. And can I tell you, though God has changed a lot, there's still the roots of that stuff in there. And if I were to let it go, I can tell you that <laughs> it would be very easy to go back to some of that stuff. Okay? How many times has God forgiven me? Can we say lots? Okay? The reason why lots is necessary is because your friend who sins against you is habituated to that particular kind of sin, that particular way of dealing with you. And he needs correction, needs rebuke, probably, uh-huh. But he needs your forgiveness. Well, what if he doesn't acknowledge his sin? Then forgive him anyway in your heart. Do not extend that forgiveness to him until he repents. But if you want to hang on to it, I promise you, you're going to get bitter. Because people will not live up to your expectations. How about Colossians 3, 12 and 13? Therefore, as the elect of God, as the people who are abiding in His tabernacle and looking forward to dwelling in His holy hill, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Wow. As a Christian, you have to forgive. He speaks truth in his heart. He's acknowledging his own flesh, weaknesses, things like that. He doesn't take up a reproach against his friend. He forgives. 
Now, yes, we, we are called to go to our friend. We are called to uh, help them out of the pit so that they don't do, uh, continue to do that. But the reality is, is it's so much easier to talk about them to other people. Uh, Hebrews 12, 14 and 15 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many become defiled. See, the whole concept of talking about other people to other people is you're bringing your bitternesses, your judgments, and you're defiling them so that they too might, with you, yeah, you're not like one of us. You don't fit here. I want you to know that it doesn't matter who they are. They are like us. Yeah, but they're not of the right economic stratus. Hasn't God blessed you? For what purpose? Hmm. Think about it. Okay? So bitterness is at the top of the next page. Uh, what is the result of not forgiving? Letter B, change thinking required. Verses 4 and 5. Outward thinking. Outward thinking toward the wicked. It says, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. Oh, we're in the New Testament. We're just supposed to love everybody. And I, I wouldn't disagree with the statement, but I want you to understand there's more to it than just loving everybody like everybody's totally okay. doesn't matter. Okay? Uh, a couple words here. In who's the vile person. The word vile here is ma'ak, to spurn or disappear, abhor, cast away. So this is the kind of person that we really don't want to be around. They're a vile person. They are a castaway. They're a despicable person. Uh, we, we could probably name several of them, most of them being involved in politics, right? Uh, some of them are involved in uh, the pulpit. There's some despicable people on your TV on Sunday morning, okay? Uh, they, they smile. They got nice hair. I told you, God only made a few perfect heads. Uh, but they're, they're despicable. They're not teaching truth. Uh, let's talk about how you can have your best life here. Let me tell you something. You're not going to have your best life here. We live in a fallen world. As we get older, wrinkles, uh, a little bit extra weight, less hair, uh, if that's your issue. Uh, your knees crack when you go up the stairs. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you might need to get them replaced. <laughs> uh, you know, your hip joint goes out of place because you fell on the floor. I, you know how it is. Uh, I, yes, I'm picking on Sue right now. <clears throat> so whole point being is this is not the best place to have your best life. Uh, nothing wrong with pursuing a, a, as many blessings as God wants to give you here. But you know, sometimes in the pursuit of the blessings, we kind of forget what our real purpose is, okay? So be careful there. So this is a vile person. The word uh, despised here is baza, uh, to disesteem, despise, disdain, contempt, contemptible, to think, to scorn, a uh, vile person. Uh, whole point here is 
we as believers, when it comes to our outward thinking toward the wicked, we should stand against evil. Now, notice I have here woke policies. Uh, recently saw a video where a guy said, you know what woke means? Willingly owning known evil. Kind of like, I might have had the W-O there a little mixed up. Uh, that's okay. But the known evil, yeah. There, there is known evil out there. And some churches, knowing that it's, e- well, maybe they don't know. Hmm. Why not? Do they not look in this book? Okay. Now, how are we to treat the people that are involved in that known evil? Yes, we should be loving them into the kingdom, which means we're speaking the truth to them so that they might come into the kingdom. Speaking the truth does not mean we're judging them in the sense of you're a horrible person. No, we're all horrible people, okay? But the sin that you're involved in, God's the one that says no. Just like the sin I was involved in before I was saved. God said, no, it's wrong. But he loves you enough to have done everything that's necessary so that you don't have to live there. And if you come to him, we'll let him work on you and change you. Because I can't change you. You can't change you. Nor should you try. But we are, uh, notice, standing against evil. Woke policies and the practices thereof. Letter B, toward the righteous. But he honors those who fear the Lord. The word honor there is kabod, uh, to be heavy, numerous, rich, honorable, to make weighty, to abound with, boast, glorify, be, uh, or make glorious. Uh, the idea here is uh, you're talking this person up. Uh, you, are, you have great appreciation for the fact of what God has done in their life. Uh, I don't know how many of you know pastor's testimony. But if you ever get the opportunity to hear what God has done in that man, uh, you probably ought to listen. Now, you might say, well, what about mine? Can I tell you? We all ought to be sharing our testimony with one another a little bit more often. Why? So we can talk about what God has done. We might have a better appreciation for one another if we were to do that. If you were to look at me 41 and a half years ago, going on 42, and look at me today, you'd have less complaints about what you think about me today because you'd see, wow, look what God has done. And and as far as your complaints about me today, uh uh-huh, I hear you. I'm still in the process, just like you. Okay? Um, And it's not that I don't want to hear your complaints because we need to be speaking, encouraging one another. Encouraging sometimes talks about, well, you know, you could do this better. I remember going out to dinner with, uh, well, after church, going to Culver's with uh, Bobby and uh, George Langson. And uh, Bobby said, you know, when you first came here, I didn't care for you. (laughs) Thanks. Appreciate that. (laughs) But she went on to say, but to see the things that God has done in your life over these last so many years, that's been a blessing. Kind of like, cool. 
At least someone's saying it, you know, that kind of thing. And that's the idea here. You're honoring those who fear the Lord. You're, you're saying, wow, look at what God has done in that person's life. So number two here, treating Christians according to who they are, not according to how you feel because of something they did. Okay? Uh, I'm amazed that my upbringing was such that there was a lot of things I didn't learn until after I got saved, and then some of them after I got married, and then some of them after I had kids. That's when I learned why we do some of the things that we do. Not when I was growing up. And I can tell you that over the years, I've been judged by an awful lot of those things that I didn't even know you're supposed to do it that way. And of course, if you had just told me, I'd sit there and say, show me. And most of us can't give you a reason here. There is a reason, and you'll find it here, but most of us can't do that. And so I'd be rebellious enough to say, well, then I don't need to change anything. When I found out later, oh, yeah, that's why. Okay, I'll do it then, because that's what God would have me to do. So treating people according to who they are, not according to how you feel about them, maybe because of something they've done or said. Number two. Actions based on changed thinking. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Uh, Matthew 5.37 says, But let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Uh, James 5.12, But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into temptation. So basically what we have here is uh, uh, they are doing what they say they're going to do. Speaking of which, doing. Johnny Kicklight, are you in here? Uh, He's probably out with the security team. Uh, We need some young men. That disqualifies me, okay, uh, to help move a piano back here in the uh, room. I'm not sure where it's going, but we we need some young guys. You know, muscles, that kind of thing. So after church, uh, if you can, gather up here. We'll get Johnny up here and uh, hopefully take care of that. Quick, quick, like a bunny, no problem. Okay, moving right along. Uh, He swears to his own hurt and does not change. I remember uh, years ago, part of a church in Kansas City, and a particular missionary was looking to raise up his outgoing funds because that was the only thing that was preventing from leaving. He got his monthly support down. Now he needed his outgoing funds. And I said, Lord, if... You allow me to make what I need for my needs, anything above that over the next so many weeks, I will give uh, towards this man's outgoing uh, funds. You know, you know what I didn't know at the time? My daughter was going to get sick three days later and have to go to the emergency room. And, and, and guess what? First week, I made like twice as much as I normally do. I needed money for an emergency room bill. It says here, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. You know, we made sure we gave that money because we knew this is what this said. And God took care of the emergency room bill. Might not have been immediately, but it got taken care of. That's the idea. Letter B, 
lending freely. He doesn't have ownership issues. It goes on to say, he who does not put out his money at usury. Uh, all of the verses there, basically Old Testament, uh, Jews were not to lend to Jews with interest. You, you could lend to the Gentiles with interest. That was okay, but not to your brothers. Okay? And, and that's why I say here, lending freely doesn't have ownership issues. Uh, how many of you as parents, your kid comes along, there's a problem, and you pay for it? And they say, I'll pay you back. And then you never see them again. No, that's not, it's not quite that bad. But you never see that money come back again, right? Well, let's just cut them off. You know, we're never going to give to you again, you rotten little sinner you. Or how about, well, thank you, Lord, that I had the money to give them because they needed it. See, that, that's the idea here. Ownership issues. Uh, do we have any problems in the church with ownership issues? That is my classroom. You can't do that. <laughs> Sue, stop it. <laughs> I, I want you to understand something. Uh, some of us have ownership issues. Can I tell you that none of these classrooms are yours? They're God's and therefore ours, okay? Now, if that's a room that you're using all the time, like the school, can we respect one another to understand that, look, uh, Monday I, I'm going to need that for school again, so if you can make sure that whatever you do, uh, that it's kind of got some order on Monday morning. I totally agree, totally agree. But the idea that that's my classroom and no, uh, ownership issues, okay? Right here, uh, we're not going to have that as a hard attitude. Um, and then uh, the next one here, no perverting justice, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. And again, if you look up Exodus, Deuteronomy, Ezekiel there, you're going to see that's what it's all about. But uh, I want you to understand something. In today's day and age, as Christians, we need to understand this concept is not foreign in this country. Uh, when I was down in Brazil, we went down to the Pantanal, which is the world's largest swamp, and we saw the alligators and the snakes and uh, actually took a bath in the river with the alligators right over there. And every time they went underwater, we got out because, you know, they don't swim on top of the water and say, hey, I'm going to eat you. They sneak up underneath and bite you on a leg, pull you under. Uh, but... Uh, uh, you know, great day, piranha fish in there, no problems. Uh, on the way back, we had driven miles and miles on a bumpy, dusty road. On the way back, there was a police stop there. And so we pulled over because we were supposed to. And they actually wrap wire on their uh, license plates. And then they crimp this plastic thing over the wire so that they know that license plate belongs to that car. Well, the temperature is 95 to 115 degrees, 50 weeks a year. The dusty road, the bumps, piece of plastic came off. So as far as the police is concerned, I stole that license plate from somebody else, put it on my car. $300 fine. So I go to their DMV. The guy inspects it and says, yeah, this plate goes with this car. And he puts a new plastic thing on there. And then he writes a letter to the judge so that I don't have to pay the $300 fine. Uh, Lindemar, the pastor that was there at the time, goes, Al, if you just give him a little bit of milk money. I go, what? 
And he goes, you got a $50? What are you talking about? He goes, give him a little bit of milk money and this will go away. Kind of like, no, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not going to give the money, the milk guy milk money. See, that's basically bribing him to overlook something. I didn't need him to overlook anything because I didn't do anything wrong. Okay? So when we talk about justice, in today's day and age, we like to put an adjective on the front of that word. Notice number one, adjectives. They modify the noun, and then they take first place as the modifier. Uh, One of the questions that gets asked on TikTok from time to time is, can you be a gay Christian? I want you to understand something. Gay modifies Christian and makes it number one. So basically, Christian is second identity. Gay is first identity. And the answer to that question from a biblical perspective is no. If you are in Christ... Christ has attributed to you his righteousness, and that gets lived out because you're a new person. Now, that does not mean you can't have tendencies or leanings of your old life. My old life was from age 4 to age 21 filled with all kinds of sexual immorality from age 4, okay? So I got 17 years. That stuff is embedded in me. I get saved, and now I'm a sexually immoral Christian? No, I'm a Christian. Were the leanings and the tendencies still there? Oh, yeah. It took years to straighten some of that stuff out. Okay? So the same thing would be true of a person who is gay or lesbian or whatever the mafia alphabet mafia is all about, they become a Christian, they may still have all those leanings, tendencies. But if they belong to God, God's going to change them. It may take time. They may have struggles. uh But they're not a gay Christian. They're a Christian who has suffered from that kind of sinfulness in the past. Okay? So notice number two, E.G., that is basically an example, social justice. Social becomes more important than justice. And when social is the modifier, it is not justice anymore. Justice is based on the character of God. God is just. He is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care if you're black, white, gay, uh, straight, uh, guy, girl, someone who thinks he's a girl when he's a guy, and, and vice versa. None of that matters. Justice is justice based on his character. Okay? So forget the social justice stuff. Uh, Understand, it's where the world is trying to conform you into its image, but you're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does God say about the subject? Well, God doesn't talk about that. Oh, yes, he does. He has given us everything for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. He didn't give us just religious stuff that we practice on Sunday morning. Okay? So, the result. We've, we've seen the question. We've seen the answer. Some of the uh, examples of how that gets lived out. The result. He who does these things shall never be moved. Psalm 16, 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Now, 
if that's true, when the next pandemic comes along, the Lord is with you. He will keep you. If you do die, it was part of his plan, and therefore it's okay. Now, I, I say that because I'm sorry, in the last pandemic, fear was a major thing for many people. Instead of, God has my days numbered. I am not leaving a day before, and I'm not staying a day after. Okay, please understand that. We can do everything we want to to live a long life. And if God says 63, three months and uh, 10 days, today I'm going. Period. I can go to the gym and weight lift, you know, leg press 700 pounds 20 times with a half step in it. Doesn't matter. If God says today is the day, you're going. So it doesn't matter what the world does. If the Lord is by me, He's the only one I need. I shall not be moved. Okay? Uh, 2 Peter 1, 8 to 10. It says, For if these things are yours and abound. Now I'm going to say what things. Well, in verses 5 through 7 it says, But also for this very reason, because God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. He's given us these great and precious promises that we can participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption that's in the world because of the evil desires that's in us. We can escape all that if we live according to what he says and who he is. It says, for this very reason, give all diligence. This means effort, okay? Give all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Virtue basically means moral excellence. In other words, when I got saved, one of the first things I really needed to do was put off the behavior of the old man, which included all that sexual immorality. Okay? Uh, Paul says, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain. Stay away from sexual immorality. Why? Because it affects your sanctification. Uh, all sin is sin, but sexual sin, you sin against your own body in a different way than other sins. So that's one of the things that needed to be put off in my life. That's adding to your faith virtue, okay? It goes on to say, and add to virtue knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness. Perseverance is staying under the load and, and living right, even though, man, I, I really would like to strike out and punch this guy in the head. Don't do it. Just keep on loving him. <sighs> and then the next one, godliness, that's living life as though you're actually going to give an account to God. Because you are. So you've got to be thinking about what you're going to do. Do I really want to answer to God for this? Yeah. He says it's cool. Good. Have fun. Do it. Okay, that's the concept of godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. Yeah, but you don't know my brother. I, I don't care. Add to your godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Now let's get back to verse 8. If these things are yours and they abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful, in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he is, was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. Add to the effort. Be even more diligent 
to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Look, when we look at Psalm 15, yeah, it's in the Old Testament. Who can enjoy the relationship that they have here with God in this temporary residence? Who can be assured that someday they're going to be in his holy hill? The person that God has worked on in such a way that they exhibit changed life, changed thinking. Changed to what? Based upon what he says. And with that in mind, if that's true of you, you don't have to worry. You know, we we talk about eternal security. Biblically and theologically, eternal security is not an issue. How do you feel after you chose to do some of those old things? Man, am I even saved? Your feelings have nothing to do with it. Now, it is a good time to examine yourself. Do you really belong to Him? Because if you do, there's a new part of you that needs to be activated and you need to live according to that, then you will enjoy your relationship here and you'll have certainty of your destination there. I hope it all makes sense. Uh, I hope maybe you were convicted about a few things. Uh, If not, go home and listen to it again. (laughs) With that in mind, uh, let's close in prayer. And our praise team will come up. (coughs) Father, we thank you We thank you for your encouragement. We thank you for your rebuke. We know, Lord, that even those of us that have been saved for what we might consider many years, there's still work to be done. We have not arrived yet. And we ask, Lord, especially in these areas of our heart and our thinking, and then our behavior that comes from that, that if there are things that need to be pointed out, that your Spirit would open our eyes to them. And that you would give us grace by the power of your Spirit to be changed and live for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Where's our victory come from? It's not by following all those rules. We we talked about a bunch of things. You've got to change the way you think, change your action. No, 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 no. It is because of the Spirit of God that lives in you as a new person that by faith we can walk with Him and see Him change us. And that's the message that we have to offer to those that are out there. Look, yeah, we we get all hung up on the kinds of sins and, and the sin in general. Christ paid the price. And now those that are in Christ are more than conquerors as we walk with Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You again for the victory, for the freedom. We ask that You would give us wisdom, Lord, because there are a lot of things out there that maybe they're not expedient, necessary, beneficial. And then give us grace to do the things that are necessary so that we might walk with You. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. 
You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.